0: You're listening to the Sales Development Podcast, the only audio forum focused and dedicated 100% to sales development. If you care about growing your skills and getting more new sales appointments, pipeline, and closed one deals, you came to the right place. Subscribe to the show on YouTube, iTunes, or Spreaker, and be sure to go back and listen to all the episodes for the best strategies, tips, and tactics out there on running a high-performance sales development program. And now, your host... Founder and CEO of Tenbound at TenBound.com, David Delaney. Hello, 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 everybody. Welcome to another edition
1: of the Sales Development Podcast. I'm your host, David Delaney. I'm honored to be joined today by what I consider a, a, a close friend, Mr. Sahil Mansuri, founder and CEO of Bravado. How are you doing today, buddy?
2: Dude, I'm doing well. I, <laughs> I feel like I feel like after after seven years, we better be close friends.
1: <laughs> oh man. I know. I mean, we were talking before the show. I think the first day of the rest of our life started April 11, 2011, right? Take (laughs) us back to how we met and and bring us up to speed on what you're working on, Sahil.
2: Yeah, sure. So (laughs) I guess David and I have the distinct pleasure of having started at Glassdoor on the same day. We were both part of, I think, one of the first classes of salespeople that was hired by Glassdoor and had a wonderful experience there. Over the course of the last uh, few years, I have built and scaled sales teams at a variety of venture-backed startups. And then most recently, I actually kind of left the world of sales uh, somewhat and ended up in the world of product and marketing ended up uh, running both for a company called sales predict which was a lead scoring platform that was used by uh, SDR teams in order to qualify their inbound leads we were acquired by eBay in July of last year and since then I've been working at a VC called Expa uh, in residence you know kind of evaluating and checking out a bunch of tools and, and opportunities in the sales space. And most recently founded a company called Bravado, which is a place for salespeople to build their reputations and credibility on the backs of customer testimonials and endorsements.
1: Interesting. Okay, so I want to dive into how you came up with that and and how you started Bravado. But first, you know, we, we were talking a little bit before on the current state of sales development. And and I I wanna get your take because you you've got such a wide you know, background in multiple parts of you know working with sales development reps working in sales working on products that support sales development you know right now what are you seeing out there in the marketplace as it pertains to sales development
2: you know i think it's it's kind of on two different planes i would say let's start with the plane that is going to be most relatable to your audience which is what is happening on the day-to-day with with sales teams I think sales teams are getting smarter I think that sales processes are getting tighter I think that you know we have always had access to a wealth of information and data and tools but those tools are getting better the actual data is getting cleaner and these things are starting to work in concert you know I, I see a lot of uh, words around orchestra administration and, and whatnot. But but basically, I think that SDR teams are getting far more sophisticated in the way that they are reaching out to customers. But, but I think that's a very, very narrow bound. You know, Basically, the people that listen to this show, the people that, that are your customers, and the people that are in your and my sphere are getting good at this. Generally speaking, I think what's happening is SCR teams are starting to understand, ooh, instead of having to write 100 custom emails, I can just click one button and send 100 uh, messages out at once. Instead of having to sit there and dial a bunch of phone numbers and do a bunch of research, I can just power up a dialer software and fire off 1,000 calls before lunch. And what's happened is that buyers are getting sick and tired of it. Right. Buyers are tired of getting cold calls from from reps who have no idea where they are and they're getting generic pitches. I think buyers are extremely frustrated by getting generic uh, emails that are irrelevant and impersonal and untimely and, and and have no value. And ultimately, if you look at I'm sure you see this on LinkedIn, just like I do, David. If you look at your LinkedIn feed, it won't take many scrolls before you have some buyer that is publicly shaming an SDR or that's posted something that's like, how do I get off of all these lists? My inbox is drowning in sales pitches. And then you see hundreds of lights and hundreds of plus ones and me twos. And I think that buyers are getting increasingly more frustrated and distrustful of sales development practices.
1: Okay. This is really interesting. So on one hand, you're positive about the direction that it's going. We're getting more sophisticated. We're getting better tools. We're getting better technology. But on the other hand, you're seeing that the buyers are just becoming almost like immune to this. It's like antibiotic resistance. They're just like, I can't take this anymore.
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, so the, the positives are that a small group of sales teams are getting better and better. The negative is that everybody else has realized the power of these tools and is ruining it for everyone, right? So as a buyer, I'm getting 500 cold emails a week from 500 different sales teams. I don't have the time to even click to open it to see which one's actually good and which one's not. Right. So so the, the the problem that I'm seeing is that salespeople are getting painted with a broad brush where basically it's like if you are an unsolicited email that lands in my inbox, I don't care if you've done, you know, 30 minutes of research and written me a really personal note. I mean, ideally, I would care. Right. Like, because if someone has actually done that, then I would actually take the time to respond. But. I can't tell because I get so many of them that I just mass delete all of them. So I think that it's this really interesting time where, you know, a certain group of teams already went through this process, right? Like a certain group of teams are like, "Ooh, we're going to spam everyone. And then it's like, oh, that's not a good idea. We should be like really targeted and ABM and focused and whatnot. And then meanwhile, everybody else has just caught up to the fact that you can spam everyone. And now buyers are being spammed unmasked.
1: Okay. All right. So I see this every day. I'm same as you. I see those negative posts on LinkedIn and stuff like that. So what would your, for the people that are on the positive side and they're studying this craft and they're trying to move it forward, What are there some recommendations that you would have to break through that noise and be able to be more successful?
2: I think that, I mean, personalization is is going to be key. And so I think you have to just keep uh, doing that, right? I think you just have to keep doing it the right way. I think that, you know, when we were working, so so back to Sales Predict days, at Sales Predict we had like 60 clients or so that had, where, where the primary uh, use case was with the SDR team, right? There was no like AEs that were really using this. It was mostly just the SDR team. And when I joined Sales Predict, you know, we had a product that was, that was extremely accurate. Like the, the, the lead scoring was really good, but it was pretty, pretty tough to use. You know, I think we call it the classic, the classic, uh, Israeli startup of like, uh, you know, fantastic data science, not so great sales and marketing. And, and so. You know, walking into an organization like that, I got a chance to, you know, talk to a ton of SDR leaders, talk to a ton of CMOs and VPs of marketing. And the things that stood out to me that great sales teams were finding success with was being extremely personal with their messaging, was treating buyers as not not as somebody to sell to, but as somebody to educate and we're focused heavily on trying to understand exactly what the pains that the customers were facing and and I don't mean that generically I don't mean like oh you're the VP of marketing at a tech company so therefore this is the messaging like I'm not talking about that kind of crap right I mean like coming in and saying okay I'm going to research you on LinkedIn I'm going to read your Twitter I'm going to see news articles that have been written about your organization I'm going to go on your website and look at the case studies from your clients and and in summary after doing all this I'm going to build in my head an image of what your world looks like. And then I'm going to write you messaging around that world. So that when you read it, it feels personal. And it feels like something that actually makes a ton of sense to you. And because you really only have one chance to not be labeled as just another person wasting my time. So the stakes are higher than ever. And I think most buyers only give one vendor one chance. So it's like not enough for the lead to be passed from one account to the other. So Making sure that that first time that you reach out to a buyer is super personal, super targeted, and really shows that you've done your homework and that you're taking this opportunity seriously and their time very, very seriously is the thing that I see work best.
1: Yeah. And and it's tough because on one hand, you have a lot of pressure from the management to just make a lot of calls and send a lot of emails. And these, these tools facilitate that. Like you, you, you brought it up yourself. You can make like a thousand phone calls and, and send a thousand emails at the touch of a button. But, you know, it's also in reality, you have to have that hyper personalization. So I think it kind of puts the SDR in a tough spot because they're, they're getting pushed and pulled from different directions.
2: Yeah, I I mean, again, I have a pretty strong opinion on this that maybe is not in concert with what a lot of other sales leaders uh, think, but I feel like we have just been optimizing for the wrong thing for such a long time. You know, looking at activity volume and saying, oh, well, we sent out 500 emails and off those 500 emails, we got 10 meetings. That's awesome. What happened to the other 490? <laughs> now, now I, I understand that, that you know, well, a bunch of them didn't read it. Okay, fine. We'll exclude the people that didn't even read it. Although if it shows up in my inbox, I see it. So if I see it in my inbox, I still become aware that you've emailed me. And, you know, let's say that you're a decent SDR team. So you have an open rate. I'm just going to make up some numbers, but let's say your open rate is 50%. Your, your reply rate is 10%, right? Let's just, let's just say, and, and your meeting set rate is, let's say 5%. Okay. You've sent a thousand emails. So 500 people opened your email and, and were exposed to your content. If, if, your content was impersonal and was and was just like, you know, some random piece of thing that they that they receive that they get from everyone else. That's 500 people that just put you in the bucket of, you know, another crappy vendor that's just trying to waste my time. And and then they're now actively trying to get away from you right? They're now actively trying to not engage with your brand. So when that person calls on the phone later that afternoon, or the second that the email is opened, or whatever it is, the buyers already got a negative impression in their mind of the the brand. And so I just feel like as an SDR, you're in a tough position and i really question the 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 advice that is is permeating by a lot of the talking heads and sales around volume i think that get, you know sending 50 emails to get 10 to, to get 10 meetings is so much more valuable than sending 500 and then and then people will say well of course but reply rates are low and open rates are low and so we need volume to cover the territory And I just don't, and I think it's just laziness. I really do. I think it's just laziness on the behalf of the sales team to say we're going to focus on these things that, that are, that are going to maximize our, our chances of getting any one single appointment, even if it means that we're tarnishing our reputation with everybody else in the marketplace. It's a small world. We all know each other. And, and so I, I, you know, I just, I think it's, I think it's, it's short. It's it's very short term oriented. And and once you've spammed your entire, you know, your your entire contact list, what do you do then? Right. You just go back and keep spamming them again and again and again. It's it's a zero sum game. And 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 I worked at an organization at the start of my sales career called Meltwater. And Meltwater is is pretty well known because it's a it's a private company, never raised venture funds and grew to almost 100 million dollars plus in in Runway. we like literally, we had to change our phone numbers in, and, and we had to like basically try to like confuse the prospect about which company was calling. Like this was standard practice being taught by the leadership of the company because they had already called every single PR person that they could find and everyone hated the name Meloner and uh. it took them years and years to repair that relationship with the market and now things are much better right now think now now the company's doing i think a lot better than they used to but I mean, for a long time, the company just had this like incredible reputation where if you looked inside of the CRM, you had, you know, these buyers that would just like write the most angry emails being like, if I get one more call or one more email from another Meltwater person, I'm going to sue you guys like, you know, and what is the value there? Like, like, is that is that what we're trying to do is just piss off our buyers? No. And so I think that we just need to be learn to be a lot more respectful and show a lot more restraint
1: and it, it you know you you hit it on the head it comes from the top it's the the attitude you know of the leadership and maybe in that case it was we're going to be hyper aggressive we're going to you know beat the door down to get in there and and I'll, and so the question that i would have for you is like now that you're starting your own company and you're going to be sitting down with your sales leadership and your marketing leadership what would be an ideal situation for you in your head of, okay, it's 2017, it's almost 2018. We know that all these things have changed. The old methodologies are fading out. Now we have a chance to, we have a blank canvas. Like how would you go about working with them to set the tone and then set up the system?
2: Yeah. You know, I, I think that we built bravado to actually answer that question, which is warm referrals, right? Like, like intros and warm referrals. That that That's it. And what I mean by that is, you know, get a small group of people to really love your product. And then get those people to evangelize it to their friends and get those people to evangelize it to their friends and just focus on getting warm intros and referrals. I know that it's, I know that that sounds like, you know, it, like, you know, maybe it's like a best case scenario or it's like, well, you know, wouldn't that be great if everyone just referred everyone? But, you know, we've done a ton of research on this, David. Did you, salespeople have this reputation for being pushy, right? But I've got a fun stat for you 71%. Okay, 71% of customers say that they are willing to give a testimonial or a referral for a product that they enjoy using. Okay, 71%. What percentage of salespeople ask for a
1: testimonial
2: or a referral?
1: What do you think is the answer? I'd want to say it's low, you know, 20,
2: 30%. 11%. (sighs) 11% 11% of salespeople are willing to ask for a referral or a testimonial from their customer, but 71% of them are willing to give it. Now, now this stat blew my mind initially, right? When the first time I saw it, I was like, uh, it, it, this can't be right. So I started asking salespeople, how often do you ask for a referral? And the best salespeople, do you know Kevin Walkup of Sales Loft? Do you know who that is? Yep. Yeah, so Kevin actually, Kevin's become a good friend over the course of the last few months. He's he's one of our like power users on Bravado. Kevin told me that he asked for a referral on every call at the end of every call, first call, second call, twenty fifth call. He always asks. He's like, "Hey, is there anybody else who would benefit from a conversation like this?" And he told me that well over forty percent of his new business comes from referrals. Like that's the future, right? The future is impress one person, do a great job, get them to use your product, make them extremely successful and have them introduce you to other people that that can find value. I mean, I just think that the days of, of, of using the spam cannons, right. I I like to say the, the, you know, the, the emails and the, and the calls and everything else. I think that the days of using that are, are limited because buyers don't want that, right? Like name me a buyer that says, I love getting cold called Right, give me the buyer that says, "I love getting a ton of cold emails in my inbox." Nobody likes that, but we do like great tools. We do like recommendations from our peers, and we all want to be using the best technology. So the 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 method I think that that's been broken is how do you lily pad from one successful customer to your next warm prospect?
1: I like that. That's a good analogy, lily pad. I- <laughs> I could see how cuz it's it's uh it's it's a skill you know you you've got to apply pressure correctly ask for it be consistent and that's an interesting story about Kevin um he he's a he's a great dude I I need to hold myself accountable to do that because that's that's how it works 11% uh, that's crazy
2: Mm-hmm. But, but ask, I mean, ask around, right? Ask your friends, ask your sales team. If you're a sales leader listening to this, ask your sales team. How often are we asking for referrals? What, what is the method that we use in order to solicit referrals? How much, how much effort are we putting into making sure that every single customer who signs up is referenceable, right? Like what are we doing to make sure that we build out ourselves a community of, a, a, a community of ambassadors? A community of, of evangelizers who will come out and spread the word. You know, we have gotten at bravado, we initially went through and, and kind of mustered 40 salespeople to use through through like sheer force of will to use this thing. And those 40 salespeople got us the next 200 who signed up. and those 200 have gotten us our next thousand that are on the wait list. So we only have ever really reached out. To that first group of 40 and from that group of 40 we now have a thousand people that are trying to use our site and and it's all referral based right we haven't done any marketing we don't spend a single dollar we have never made a cold call or cold emails it's just all been through word of mouth and the methodology we use is simple. Every time we engage with one of our with one of our users, we say, "Are you finding value in this? Is this a product that's that's creating value? Great. Do you know two other people that would find value in it? Do you mind introducing me to them? Do you mind sending them a link?" And we just focus super heavily on making sure that every one of our uh, users is is somebody who who is excited to share uh, the, the product. And if they're not, then we pump the brakes. And go back and fix whatever is the issue for that user, and then make sure that they, you know, are are willing to endorse it in the future.
1: It's an upward spiral. I love that. I mean, I'm this is this is really useful for me. So I appreciate it. Um, you know, I'm thinking if a company has an SDR team, or I'm an SDR, and I'm at this company, and it's set up in in the way that you know you're you know, kind of moving past and setting up the referral program. So it's set up in the way of sending a lot of emails and making a lot of calls and, and et cetera. How how, do, how would you recommend pos- potentially transitioning to building that referral base from the, the old way of doing the SDR job to the more referral based?
2: Yeah, you know, I mean, there's a time and place for outbound outreach, right? I, I think that I, I wouldn't say that you know this would work for everyone i mean we're more of a b2c company and so you know there's 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 some things that are different although we certainly onboard entire sales teams and we do have a b2b approach as well you know, it, it's a little bit split. Maybe I can go back and just share what we did that worked really successfully for us at, at Virule. So a few years ago, I, I was running the sales team over at Virule, and you know, we used to send some really impersonal emails and, and get really low response rates, kind of like your standard SDR team. So what we did is we realized. So so just as a bit of context, so that you can you can understand, Virul was a company that was selling uh, video advertising. So basically, anybody that was ad- advertising a video on YouTube like if you try to watch a video on YouTube and you know you get hit with those annoying pre-rolls anybody that was running one of those pre-rolls was a potential customer for us right and so what we did in order to you know write some really really sophisticated emails What we did is we basically uh, automated the process of collecting lists of companies that were advertising on YouTube. Once we collected the list of companies that were advertising on YouTube, we actually found this the, the, the exact video itself that they were advertising. And then we would actually take the URL of the video and we built an in-house analytics tool that would see like how many views the video got, how many clicks it got, how many shares it got, what the average view time was. And we would take that tool and we would basically write extremely custom mail merges that would empower the SDR to to basically plug and play different phrases and different tokens so that let's say, I'll give you two examples. Let's say one video got like no traction, right? Very few views and and not a lot of things going on with it. Well, you don't want to send the same email to that person that you send to someone who's got a lot of views on on their video, right? I mean, the messaging needs to be totally different. And so what we would do is, Basically, it was a bunch of like Boolean logic, if-then statements, right? It was like, if the video has more than 50,000 views, then use this template. If it's fewer than 50,000 views, then use that template. That's how we would select the template. Once the template was selected, it was like, if the video's view time is more than 30%, then insert this phrase. If the view time is less than 30%, then insert that phrase. And so the entire email was customized to all of the possible use cases of uh, that, that you would envision in the market, you know, someone who's got a lot of traction but 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 very little sharing, someone who's got a lot of virality to their video but not a lot of people have seen it, someone who's got both, someone who's got neither, and and so we would be able to write these extremely customized mail merges, and we were getting reply rates of over 20%, open rates of over 80%, meeting set rates Whoa. of over 15%. You know, we were getting incredible results as a, because we took the time to personalize and it took us months to build that machine, by the way, right? Like yeah. I described to you the really cool process. I mean, there was a ton of experimentation that went on and a lot of different work, you know, a, a big shout out to, to Manny and the team at Outreach. Because they, you know, built us a bunch of custom tools in order to do this, and uh, Scott Wong, who was our head of SDR, now runs sales ops over there, you know, was was a huge player in that as well. But but we were able to build this extremely well oiled machine, and once we built it, then the outreach part was great because as a as a as a you know advertiser, you got this email. It was actually about your video. It wasn't like some generic, like, hello, advertiser. My name is Sahil Mansuri, and I'd like to sell you some video ads. You know, it was like, hi, advertiser. I saw that you're running this video on YouTube pre-rolls. You've got this many views and this many shares. However, your average view time is this. Maybe you should consider using this, you know, and it would have all of this custom stuff in there. We would have links to the video. We would have images of the video. So when you got the email, it was it felt like somebody had taken 10 minutes dissecting your campaign, but we did that automatically. You know, so I think that, you know, investing in, in, in having a mighty SDR sales ops process that's able to create those, that level of personalization is so important. And it's possible to do a lot today. There's a ton of data out there. There's a ton of resources out there. You just have to be willing to put in the time to really build yourself a custom process. And then I think you can, you can, uh, you know, achieve better results with your traditional kind of cold call, cold email SDR process. I know that wasn't really the answer to your question, which was like, how do you transition it? But I want to make sure that, you know, I, I, I am not saying like stop cold calling forever or stop cold emailing. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying make sure every every time you send an email to a prospect, make sure it's valuable, make sure it feels personal, and make sure that it's not something that when they actually open it embarrasses your company. Because the vast majority of outreach that I receive is frankly embarrassing.
1: Yeah, and, and that does help a lot. I mean the the referral aspect, some great tips there. And then You know, with the outbound, if you can make it, it almost sounds like you had set, set it up where it's it's educational to them. It's bringing something that is contextual and educational, and then you obviously have a call of action because you're not just a nonprofit organization. So I added a lot of value, and now I would like to discuss with you. Let's take a meeting. But but to your point, there's a lot of stuff that has to go on in the back end to get that set up and make it efficient and that took you a lot of trial and error it sounds like to set up
2: uh months it took months yeah. and 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 many many late nights in the office trying to get everything configured you know but but at the end of the day david it it just comes down to it comes down to what your what is an acceptable criteria for you to feel confident messaging to the messaging to buyers and I think that the bar is far too low. You know, I think just because you have someone's email address doesn't give you permission to email them just because you have someone's phone number doesn't give you permission to call them. You need to have a reason why you're doing it. And the thing that I hate, the thing that really upsets me is when companies are like, woohoo, 500 new leads, let's hit them up, you know? And, 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 that mentality of like, ooh, fresh meat, let's go hunt it, you know, is exactly what is ruining sales and is exactly what is pissing off buyers. You know, 500 new leads, it should feel like, oh, man, that's going to be a lot of work. You know, we're going to need to do a bunch of things in order to make sure that this group really gets customized messaging and really we create tremendous value with these people. It should, It should feel imposing. Right. Because you want to make sure that every person that connects with your brand, every person that gets any communication from your team, it could be the last time they ever take you seriously. Right. It really could be. It's not that's not that's not hyperbole. If you get one email from a from a company, I recently got an email. I'll I'll spare the embarrassment to the company, but I recently got an email from a company whose service I had signed up for the night before. So I signed up for their service the night before. And the next morning, they, they I got an email from them saying, over 1,600 people have viewed you know your profile on our service. And it was obviously not true, right? There was just no chance that that was true because I had set it up at 9 p.m. I got the email at 6 a.m. And there was nothing I had even built yet. And yet, I received this email, and it immediately made me think, wow, what a bunch of clowns, you know, like, mm. like, and, and, credibility. And, I no, yeah. and I had no, and I had no interest in engaging with that company and, and I'm planning to take my, my profile down from their site, right? Because it was just, it was just such a, it was such a turn off because it was obvious that this person had just had some canned email that they had fired off to me, having done zero research on my company. Having done zero research on on any it was clearly like if profile is created, send message you know like, and mm-hmm. that is the thing that turns buyers off, so I feel very passionate about the fact that s d r teams can do such great work in evangelizing the brand of a company if they are empowered to step away from volume and allowed to focus on quality,
1: yeah, and you know a couple of things it's tricky with the inbound leads because there's There's that research that went out a few years ago about how if you don't call them you know within five seconds <laughs> that they they go away and you know you have to get back to them fast. but you know at the same time, if you get back to them fast with a message like that that ruins your credibility or the trust in the relationship, then you not you not only just blew the lead but you blew potentially a sale down the road.
2: Yeah, and again, it's just back to see a great example, right? I've read the same research that you've read that says, you know, the the likelihood of an inbound lead replying. I think it came out of Harvard Business Review, if I remember, but it was like, you know, if an inbound lead comes in and you don't respond to it within five minutes, I think is is the is the was the research. If you don't respond in five minutes, then the likelihood of them ever picking up the phone again goes down precipitously. You know what I think that research really is missing, though, is intent right? Why did the person come through your inbound channel in the first place? If you came through the inbound channel because you were genuinely interested in the product and you were genuinely interested in the space and you were actually had a need, whether they get back to you in five minutes or 30 minutes isn't the difference. It's the, again, you're focusing on volume, right? You're focusing on whether they reply or not. Their replying. Doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything. Like, just because someone replies and says, don't bug me, and now you've chalked that up as a successful reply, like, that is not a reply, right? Like, we just need to hold a higher standard of what success is. It is not success to send out emails. It is not success to get replies. It's not even success to just get meetings. It is success when you create a great experience for the buyer, that makes them want to engage with your brand, that makes them think, huh, wow, this is kind of cool. I do want to check this product out. Wow, this person actually took the time to do some research and understands what my business pain is. If we were focused on, on delighting customers instead of hitting goals and metrics and quotas, I think we would go a long way in fixing the 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 things that are broken today i know it's hard to get people's attention i get it like trust me i'm a i'm a i'm a small business owner myself you know we are also trying to get people's attention i have you know thousands of contacts and sales from the years that i've done this i don't email any of them right i literally wait for them to find out about my product through one of our happy users I know it's slower. I know. I know it's not like you know as as sexy. And by the way, we're venture backed. Like, yeah, I have investors too, and I know everyone's got investors that are pressuring them to hit goals and hit quotas and whatnot. But be be courageous enough to say that I'm going to just delight my current customers and have them evangelize my product and not resort to the spam cannon because. I know in the short term, it's more meetings, it's more revenue, it's more deals, but it's not actually helping you find product market fit. It's not helping you build a scalable business. Focus on creating real value with every interaction. Build yourself as a brand in the market that like when you get an email from this SDR team, they've done their homework and they are only going to email you because they have a connection with you and they understand your business pain and the messaging is going to be on point. when those people, when that's your reputation in the market, I think people will naturally reply to your emails. I think that, like, it just changed. Like, I reply to the emails I get from my Slack person, right? Why? Because I like Slack as a product, it's a good product. And because the person doesn't waste my time by emailing me all the time and asking me to look at look at stuff, they they only email me when they have something really valuable for me to see. So every time I get an email from them, I open it like it's like, it's so logical, right? Like, if you spam me a bunch, then I'm going to think that you're just spamming me. If you actually are creating value with every interaction, then I'm actually going to enjoy doing business with you. So I think it's the simple things done right, David, to be honest with you.
1: It's. It sounds like you, you know you're you're feeling the same pressure as everybody else, but there's been this push for hyper growth. You know that's the that's been the buzzword. You got to have <laughs> hyper growth, at a hockey stick. You know, and that drives all this weird behavior that's happening. But you're playing a longer game and almost planting the seeds of of customer value and 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 brand and and eventually, you know that is. Going to come back to you with the Slack example.
2: You know, David, I think the days of what it meant to have hyper growth have just changed. You know, once upon a time, there were companies like Groupon and Box and Zenefits and whatever that just hired an army of sales people and, and spent millions of dollars on marketing and just flooded the market with as many calls and emails and customers as they could get. And then they churned a ton of them, right? And so I feel very strongly that today, and, and actually I, I, I'm stealing this from one of my favorite VCs, Shamath from a Social Capital, who, who he was doing a presentation and he said, in the modern context, growth equals retention. And I could not agree more with that. I just could not agree more with that. You know, at Sales Predict, we didn't have you know, thousands and thousands of customers. And by the way, SalesPredict was in a really competitive space and we had competitors that had received 100 million in funding and 80 million in funding and and whatnot. But you know what? We were crushing them, deal for deal. We were stealing their customers, but they were not stealing ours. And, And you know why? It's because we focus so hard on retaining every single customer by like literally I would show up. I mean I wasn't even like focusing on the sales effort, but I would sit there and show up at at the office of the customer. Our chief data scientist who's actually a co-founder with me at Bravado would show up at the office of the of the SDR team, would sit next to the SDR team, would meet with the SDR manager and would make sure that that person really, really was finding value in the product, and that all the bugs that were there were fixed, and that it was really working well. And and I have to admit, you know, I was a customer of SalesPredicts before I actually became an employee, and I joined because I saw that customer focus. And once I worked at a company that that focused so heavily on delighting its customers and creating win win scenarios with its customers. I realized I could never, ever, ever work for a company that that did anything differently. You know, and I and I think that that's the mentality that that I think is so important is retain your customers, delight your customers, and then you'll just magically get more. You know, like we would get a ton of referrals from our customers. And we weren't even, and this is before Bravado and whatever, you know, I, I wasn't even thinking about referrals. But we, the vast majority of the deals that we closed, we got through referrals. It was just a bunch of our customers sharing with their peers what they were using and why they were finding value in it. And it sounds so simple, right? You're like, oh, yeah, like if I have 10 customers, should my focus be to now hire a sales team and go close a 1,000 more? No, it should be making those 10 people really happy and then asking those 10 people who are two others I can talk to. And you'll go from 10 to 30 and 30 to 100 and 100 to 300 and 300 to 1,000. And, yeah, it might be a little bit slower, but those 1,000 people will actually love your product. Or they won't love your product and you'll figure it out early and you'll fix all the problems. Because the other thing that isn't discussed when you talk about hypergrowth, growth, David, is what happens if you actually achieve it and then later realize that no one's sticking around with your product. Now you've got a thousand customers that are using your product and they're all unhappy. How are you going to fix all of their problems? Do you think that like magically you're going to be able to continue developing at the same rate? No way. Every customer you bring on, you pull a little focus away from product roadmap and into customer support. And as soon as you have, I think, you know, 10 customers, 20 paying customers, you're basically indebted to making sure that all of those people are successful because if those people go away, your business dies. So growing without having a scalable product and product market fit is suicidal. And I just don't think that companies see it that way because everyone just sees the dollar signs and the big VC checks and, and whatever. That's not the thing to chase. The thing to chase is having people who love your product, like don't like it, don't think it's cool, don't like have it as like part of their budget this year, but maybe not next year. But people who are like, oh man, this is irreplaceable. You know, that's like outreach. That's like salesoft That's like Salesforce. That's like Slack. That's like Zoom, right? Like build products that, you're, that your entire company, that your entire sales team, that your entire whoever is your buyer can't live without, and you'll grow. I promise you will grow. Focus your efforts there.
1: I love that. I mean, And, and people don't talk about this that much. So the, I think this is a major eye-opener for a lot of people on the call. The one thing that it kind of makes me think of is the flip my funnel movement and looking at the funnel upside down in that starting with that relationship. But I, I think you're taking it a step further than even what they're advocating.
2: Yeah, I I have to admit that I found the whole flip my funnel ABM thing to be a little bit over hyped. And 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 by the way, I'm good friends with Sangram from Terminus and 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 John Miller from Engageo. And and you know, I, I think that those guys are are absolutely fantastic. And and there's a lot of other people that are part of this ABM movement and and that are doing really good things. But wasn't this obvious? Like. <laughs> in what like in what world was this not obvious that you should focus on fi- figuring out who your best customers are and focus all your efforts there and not just sell to anybody that's willing to write you a check like how is that not obvious you know i just i just don't i guess i just don't understand what's so different about that from quote unquote, the right way to do sales. It just seems like we started doing marketing and sales in this like shotgun approach, right? Like anyone who'll click on anything will message anyone who'll do anything will message anyone who shows any interest will, will, will bombard with calls and emails until they surrender to an appointment. Like, I I just think that I just think that we're just going about it in the wrong way. And 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 just one more thing that 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 this is tangentially related but I think is important to talk about. I don't understand sales territories. I just do not understand the concept of sales territories. When you're selling if you're selling, you know, a physical product, let's say you're selling vending machines, it makes sense to have a sales territory, right? Because it, you need the person to be on site. You need the person to be able to go repair the machine. And you can't have people flying all over the country to repair machines. So you need to have people in a certain group in a certain like, context, right? What is the point of having geographic sales territories when you are selling SaaS software? It just doesn't make any sense to me. I get why it's convenient for the sales team, right? I get why, as a vendor, as an SDR team, it makes so much sense to have geographic territories because it's really easy to be able to assign accounts and assign leads, right? It's really convenient for the vendor. But what about as the customer, right? If I'm a customer, and and this and this bugs me, you know, I feel like uh, Peter Griffin on grinding my gears now. But but you know what really grinds my gears, David? I don't understand. Why, if I'm a, if I'm a customer, let's say that I'm the VP of marketing at Microsoft, God forbid for Microsoft's sake, but I'm the VP of marketing at Microsoft and I have a great experience with a salesperson from, from this company and that person comes to me and says, hey, you know, is there anybody else that would find value in the solution? And let's say I'm really good friends with the VP of marketing at Amazon, right? Because we're both VPs of marketing and I know we kind of compete, but like, whatever, like we're friends, right? Because every all buyers are friends. I mean, they you are, you're friends with their peer network, obviously. And so I know the VP of marketing at Amazon and they might have a similar need, right? So I tell that person, great. Yeah, why don't you, why don't you reach out to, to, you know, my buddy, Jill at Amazon? Great. It turns out Amazon is in somebody else's name, right? This concept of it being in someone else's name, or maybe I'm good friends with someone at HubSpot and HubSpot's in Boston, so it's in someone else's name. And so now I worked hard to build this relationship with the VP of marketing at Microsoft and then get pushed off as a salesperson because that account belongs to someone else. So what what does that create as an incentive? It creates as an incentive for you to work your own book of business, the leads that your company has arbitrarily assigned to you without soliciting referrals from your customers. Because in the vast majority of instances, that lead belongs to someone else's territory. I think that this concept is just, is, it has to go away. Like The only way you should be able to get an account is if you get referred into it. Right? Like that makes so much more sense. Like, how much harder would you work as a salesperson to get your customers to refer you to their peers if that was the way you got a new lead? Was when you got intro to them, but from one of your current customers. Think about other positive externalities. How much more likely is that person to take a meeting with you if they get a referral from one of their friends? And then, how much more likely is that deal to close knowing that there is validation in the marketplace already if if you know if one of my if you tell me David if you're like Sahil you know the best podcasting tool is 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 Blueberry or Zencaster whatever you say right you're like you got to use this thing and i'm looking to set up a podcast and i see that you have a successful podcast and you're doing some awesome work with the sales development podcast I, am I not just going to buy the thing that you told me to buy? Like, isn't that what's going to drive me to purchase or is it going to be getting random cold emails from all these vendors trying to pitch me on a product? Like I trust you leverage the fact that you are a customer and get me to transfer that credibility over. Right? Like that's the, that's
1: the world that I think we need to, we need to move towards. That's what we're moving towards. I, I totally agree. What what I would ask is again, putting you in the CEO seat and now you're talking to your VP of sales and you're organizing your sales team, how would you set that up? Because I, I think, you know, it makes perfect sense, but you know, how how do you get that set up on your team so that we don't have territories and it's just referral driven? Yeah, I I think
2: I think again you know, the concept of territory makes sense within industry, right? Yeah. If, I'm, if I'm selling into a certain industry, I should have the leads from that industry because it's likely that the peers in that industry are going to know one another and I'll be able to reference them. But the geographic Territories, right? The concept that like I own Boston as if like you know, let's say let's say I'm selling HubSpot, right? And let's say I'm the HubSpot salesperson for Boston, and then someone else is a HubSpot salesperson for Austin. What's the difference, right? Like like we're both selling the same CRM tool to the same group of companies. It's not like there's any value that's being created by being able to say like, oh, you know, your friend down the street works there. Like I, it just doesn't make any sense to me the concept of geographic territories. How I I uh, would set up territory. Is is strictly based on industry. So so if you are capturing a certain industry, you basically get the, the an entire group of competitors to that industry. So you know, simple example, let's say you're the CRM person and then you get Salesforce and HubSpot and Marketo and and Eloqua and, and, and Pardot and whatever. Because all those companies are relatively similar, right? They're gonna have similar challenges, they're in a similar space, they have similar constructs. So so being able to say, I work with Marketo and Pardot and now I'm trying to sell to you at Salesforce like that. This just, just makes so much more sense. So I would organize it based on like groups of competitors and groups of technology. You know, someone might be the storage person. Someone might be the cybersecurity person. Someone might be the, you know, whatever, a uh, search person. It doesn't matter. Ad tech person. But right. the point is, I think it makes much more sense to create industry expertise within your sales team. And the other big thing that I would do is I would have that person become an expert in their own industry. So what I mean by that is, let's say that you're selling HubSpot, so you're selling marketing automation tools, but your territory is social networks. So you sell to Facebook and Google and, and, you know, whatever, Snapchat. I would have that person become an expert in social networks start reading content about social networks, reading about not just the leads in their industry, but also like competitors and, and and their partners and whatever. So that when they're talking to their customers, they actually know what they're talking about. You know, like they're able yeah. to they're able to reference articles they've read and content that's come in for them uh, over the course of over the course of the past few weeks, past few months. And so they'll actually be Truly, you know, trusted advisors to the company, the, the level of conversation that, that I was able to have at SalesPredict by being able to say I was a customer of SalesPredict, I was a VP of sales, I sat in your seat, I know what you're going through. I mean, it just made the sales process a thousand percent easier than somebody who actually has no idea what your company does and what your job really is like, and is just trying to pitch you a product without actually being able to identify uh, the pain points. You
1: know what I mean? Oh yeah. Oh, I mean that—that's great advice. And you can even bring it down to the SDRs, the SDR that supports the outbound team they 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 should too become experts in that industry and 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 know the vocabulary as opposed to trying to you know be a one size one size fit all for everything that comes in i mean you end up being an expert in absolutely nothing and coming across you know really useless almost you know to the you prospect. come across
2: as disingenuous right yeah. you just come across i mean buyers can see it you know It was only when I left sales and I joined product teams and I became the buyer that I really understood how easy it is to tell who really knows their stuff and who doesn't. It is imminently clear within five seconds of looking, maybe three seconds of looking at an email, it is imminently clear who actually knows what they're talking about and who's sending me a templated and email. And, and I'm not just talking about the really stupid, like, are you stuck under a rock? Like HubSpot has their like five emails that are guaranteed to get responses. And all of a sudden, like everyone's using that five email cadence, you know, that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is when I get an email from a salesperson, you know david cancel from from drift uh, posted this and i and i thought it was i thought it was just really brilliant he he wrote the day of product differentiation is is coming to an end today it's all about service differentiation i could not agree more you know the cost of spinning up a a a product feature has never been cheaper. And it's only gonna get, keep getting cheaper. You remember, David, like 15 years ago, 20 years ago, being a website developer, like being somebody that could make websites, was like a really prestigious thing, right? <laughs> that that used this. to be like a real career, like, like wow, this person makes websites. Do you know what happened? WordPress. And do you know what happened? Medium. And all of a sudden, anyone with like no technical skill could spin up a website. And then being yeah. a website developer became like a useless skill, and you became a designer or something, right? right. <laughs> the The same thing is happening today in technology, right? That I could make a, a, a lead scoring platform from scratch today in like a month. And it would be not as good as like, you know, Everstring and Mintigo and Lattice and whatever, but it would work relatively I could at least make you I could I could probably fool a bunch of people into thinking it's at least about as good, if not as good. And within three to six months it probably is just as good. Uh, because it's not hard to make technology anymore. So what is hard is serving customers and delighting them and solving pains. And so I think that you know back to back to the focus of like an SDR team, right? As an SDR today, my my number one focus, if I was if I was sitting there again today and, and like you know back in the seat, and I, and I by the way I was an SDR for for my own SDR for four years in my career, right? So I've got plenty of experience drumming up my own leads. The thing I would do today as an SDR is I would basically identify, I would I would ask for a targeted list of accounts, right? I would say I don't want to just like call everyone. I want to call everyone in a certain industry, uh, a certain type of company. Maybe maybe I say, okay, I want to call every security company, right? And then I get like Barracuda and and Fortinet and Palo Alto Networks and whatever. And I'm like, I'm going to be the security person this week. Uh, Give me all the security company or this month. Take all the security companies. I would then spend a weekend reading all about them. Learning about the industry, learning about where they came from, learning about their roles, learning about like what the trends are, who's gone public, who hasn't gone public, why, what's the latest innovation that's happening, what are the biggest challenges, who are the startups in the space. I would just get myself immersed into the world of security. And then come Monday, I would start sharing some of the coolest content that I found with these buyers. I'd be like, hey, I'm the SDR that works for this company. I'm not going to ask you for a meeting right now. I'm not going to, I'm not going to start by bothering you. I'm going to start by showing you that I actually understand your industry and that I deeply care about security. Here's two or three things I've read recently. Maybe I put some comments in there on why I think it's interesting, whatever. And I would send that out as my first outreach. Then three, four days later, I would send a second email and I would follow up with more content. And I'd be like, here's something else that happened recently. Here's something that's cool. And I would just become a source of information for this person. Like, like I would just be like their like personalized little news digest that would show up in their inbox with some value. And I would not once ask for a meeting. I just would not ask for it. And I would love to see how many people would want to meet with me. I'm willing to bet that the email conversion rate for someone who would adopt a strategy like that would be far higher than than sending out whatever cool email cadence thing that that, that, that your that your SDR manager told you to send. I would be willing to put any amount of money says that that if you were to really take the time to learn the industry, really take the time to find some insights off of it. And it doesn't take that long to sound like an expert in something. You know, you you read about something for six, seven, eight hours, and you do a bunch of research, and you write down a bunch of notes. You do research on the person, you figure out where they went to school, you start looking at their Twitter feed, you start figuring out what this person cares about, you see what they shared on LinkedIn, you try to relate to that, you try to relate to that. And then After maybe the second or third email, I would probably be like, hey, by the way, you know, this is what my company does. Here's how I think it aligns with some of the content I've been sending you. You know, can we set up some time to chat? Start by creating value. Start by offering something to them that's actually valuable, and then turn around later and see if if we're able to 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 actually turn that into a meeting. I think it's just such a friendlier, better approach than than like you know being me first and trying to like get something out of the person.
1: Couldn't agree more. I mean, you you can really help them at first build that trust, build that relationship. And of course, you know, like I said, we're not a nonprofit, you know, there's got to be some kind of call of action. Uh, but it, it, instead of leading with it, I even got a couple today. It was just, I, for some reason, I always get lead lists. And uh-huh. we have leads and we've got names and phone numbers and, and we'll change your life with all these names and phone numbers. And it's just like, it just becomes noise after a while. Whereas maybe, I don't know, some prospecting tips or something to help me, you know, gain more meetings or something like that first. And then, oh, by the way, we can help you with the lead list down the, down the road. It's just so, something like that. So
2: Yeah, I mean, how about, how about an email that says, hey, there's a million people out there selling lead lists. We're one of those people. I'm not going to bug you by telling you that our leads are better because everyone tells you the same thing. But here's what I'm really curious about. What would you do with lead lists? Do you get lead lists today with the ones that you get? Are you facing any challenges with them? You know, we hear from a lot of our customers that accuracy is an issue. You know, are you finding accuracy to be an issue? You know, we find from a lot of our customers that that getting Uh, lead lists that are updated is an issue and you get a lot of dead accounts. Is this a problem for you? You know, here are some of the most common challenges that we see buyers face. You know, is this is this a challenge for you or any of these a challenge for you? Maybe you get back to them a few days later and you say, hey, you know, people are saying that buying lead lists and sending emails out is is not a great way. I heard I heard this asshole on your podcast talk about how never to send a cold email again you know what, but here's why I disagree. Here's one way you can use leading list that's different. Have you ever tried something like this? You know, like, why are we not trying to like spark a conversation, spark some curiosity, and and really try to create value in the conversation? You know, I I think that back to the back to the, you know, previous point, David, the way that sales is going to work in five years, you know, and, and I love thinking about what the future of sales looks like you know, I think the way that sales is going to work in five years is there's going to be one tenth the number of salespeople. I mean, there's products out there like Conversica and Crystal Nose and a bunch of others that are that are building tools that are going to automate away whatever, whatever generic spammy thing that you're sending. Any robot's going to be able to do better than you in five years. Right. But no robot's going to be able to deeply understand a client's pains, creatively think of solutions, and be able to offer those in a humorous and interesting way. That is not what robots are going to do. So if I was a salesperson today, I would invest in building my brand as a trusted advisor, someone who is beloved by their clients, somebody who creates value with every interaction. And and, and the more I would focus on doing that I think the more successful I would be. It worked for me when I was doing sales. I you know, when I was at Glassdoor, I tried to read and research everything I could about the world of recruiting and how it was changing and how, you know, employee reviews and employment branding was a new thing and you know what companies were doing to stand out in the marketplace. And many of the customers I had from Glassdoor even 6 7 years ago, I'm still really good friends with today. And it's because our relationship was not predicated on me selling them Glassdoor. Our relationship was predicated on the fact that I was really curious about recruiting and recruiting was their job. And we would talk about recruiting and, and how to do it better together. That was what was the kernel of our relationship. And right. the more that you can do that, I think the better uh, you can be as a, as
1: a salesperson. Uh, and and I know that you didn't mean to do this, but it's a perfect lead into bravado because it gives you a platform to build your credibility in a non-threatening way. That's kind of, and I, I'm not describing it correctly, but I, I mean, you know, it's taking all the stuff that's in your head and your philosophy and putting it into a platform. Correct?
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, the reason why we built bravado is actually super simple. As a technology buyer. I was having a really tough time figuring out who to trust. That was it. It was like the simplest thing in the world, right? It was like, I get a lot of sales emails. I don't know who to trust. G2 Crowd is a phenomenal resource for me to figure out which products are worth my time. But again, product differentiation isn't everything. I don't want to have a conversation. I don't want to spend 30 minutes with someone who doesn't know what they're talking about. I want to see who you know. I want to see you know who you've sold to. I want to see how much experience you have in your industry. And I want to see if I'm going to actually learn something by talking to you, you know, I, I want to call out a salesperson, uh, not a bravado member or anything. I, I've been trying to order business cards for the past week. Right. And I tried a few different sites. I try to use moo.com, you know, a few others. And then I got an email from a moo.com salesperson. Her name is breezy and she is amazing. She emails me. She's like, Hey, I see that you've been poking around our site, trying to get some things figured out you know, uh, it looks like you haven't had a ton of success. Let me just do it for you. Can you send me your card designs and I'll mock up the cards and send it over to you? And I was like, yeah, that sounds great. I don't want to do this. So, yeah. so I sent, so I sent her over the card designs. Nobody else offered that. Everyone offered me a demo. People offered me pricing. People asked me qualifying questions oh and how many cards I had, but she was just like, Hey, send me over what you're trying to do and let me do it for you. And I was like, sweet. So I sent it over and She sent me back a beautiful business card design. And I was like, wow, this is really cool. And then she's like, what kind of paper? Let me talk you through some paper options. Let me talk you through, you know, does the thickness matter to you? Does the, do you want rounded or, or square edges? Like, you do check out this. By the way, I'm happy to send you a sample pack. Do you want a free sample pack of business cards? And I was like, yes, again, of course I want a free sample business card. And now (laughs) I, and now that we're up, uh, up against Dreamforce. I ended up putting a rush order in with her to get cards in. We're going to use Moo.com to get business cards for our whole company. And, and in fact, we're going to do free. No, she didn't know this, but we're going to give away free business cards to all of our, all of our members. She is amazing to work with, right? She's just fantastic. And having somebody like that, who, who created a great experience for me, you know, I want to be able to say thank you to her, but the next time she emails another prospect, she's just going to be one of a hundred salespeople sending sending an email. Now she got through to me in in a in a it, it, you know by by kind of like the luck of the draw, but I don't want it to be luck of the draw. I want the best salespeople in the world to stand out. You know I, there is no. FICO score for salespeople. The best analogy I can give you for this is like it is a FICO score, right? If you go into a bank and you're like, "Hey, Mr. Bank Manager, I'd like a twenty-five thousand dollar loan to go buy a car," that person's going to be like, "Sweet, just fill out this little application." And what that little application is is a, is a permission to run your credit history, and then they go and they look at your credit history. And if historically you have paid all your bills on time and you know you've taken out loans in the past and you and, and, and then you paid them on time and you have plenty of money in the bank, et cetera, then they're gonna give you a great rate. And if they see that like you haven't done that or you don't have a credit history, then they're not gonna be as likely to want to give you a loan. We want to do the same thing in the world of sales. If you're a salesperson per- who treats your customers right. If you're a salesperson that 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 creates value with every interaction, if you're a salesperson who has lots of experience in their industry, knows their product, their competitors, and and is technically savvy and can and can actually be an advisor and a consultant to your customers, then people know that, right? Your customers know that, but the world doesn't. And so we want to create a way for the best salespeople in the world to stand out and and be recognized as being truly value additive and 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 have them, you know, have access to getting more meetings and closing more deals.
1: Beautiful. Okay. Perfect. And we're up against the hour. This has been amazing. I, I want to make sure that I keep you on track for the day. I want to get you on the show again because I feel like I'm learning a ton not only just about sales development but about, you know, uh, entrepreneurship and how you you know, visualize your your marketplace and all that stuff. So we'll definitely get you on again. How do I sign up for Bravado or how do I, you know, enter and set up a profile if, if that's possible yet? Are you still in beta or can I sign up?
2: <laughs> yeah, sure, David. You know, the thing with Bravado is that we want to make sure that the members that join are the ones that are truly customer centric. You know, there's okay. a lot of salespeople out there that, that take shortcuts. And again, I got to call out my, my my buddy, Kevin Walkup, who has this great expression that I love, which is, if you take a shortcut, then you're always going to end up cut short. And I think that, you know, it just speaks volumes about SDRs and AEs in the world of sales in general. So we yeah. want to make sure that we do a little bit of uh, a credibility check before letting people in. The waitlist is open. You can just go to www.bravado.me. Bravado.me is the URL, and then put in your email address. We'll reach out to you shortly. We'll have a conversation. We'll check out your LinkedIn profile. We'll check out, you know, what what people have to say about you, and and we'll kind of do a little bit of vetting. And then once you're in, yeah, you'll be able to go in and set up a profile. And we welcome everyone. You know, we welcome SDRs. we welcome account managers, we account, uh, welcome salespeople, both hunters and farmers you know, the world of sales is kind of getting mishmashed together. Uh, I know that we've done a lot in trying to create really specialized roles for everyone. But, you know, as a buyer, I don't see you by your title. I just see you as a representative of your company. I don't care if you're an SDR. I don't care if you're an account manager. I don't care if you're the VP of sales. You are a personification of your company. And so the in today's world, you know, we we want to help those people that do the best job championing their brands to be able to stand out. So we welcome anyone to come and join, but most especially those of you who are who are the most customer obsessed and believe in really creating value with every interaction, because those are the people we love and and we want to
1: celebrate here on Bravado. Perfect. And before I forget, one of the best salespeople that I've I've ever in, encountered over the last few years, at, at least since entering the tech field, was. A guy that you probably worked with at Sales Predict named John Huthwaite, I think his name was the Holick. Holwick. Holick. Holick. I mean, literally, like I did tons of demos over the years. He he was one of the best salespeople that I encountered I think he should definitely be in your system if you haven't thought of it I, and I just wanted to throw that out there before I let you go
2: <laughs> No well well I'm I'm proud to say that John's on the system already and Good. and I'm, uh, and I'm proud to say that that he that that the description that you give of John is exactly the way that I would describe him you know yeah. I'll just I'll just leave this out here because I you know I think it's really relevant to your audience John is so John Told me once, and uh, you know, I don't know if he's gonna love that I put this out there publicly, but but he's a, he's a really good friend, so I'm sure he'll he'll forgive me. Uh, one time we asked John, we said, "Hey, hey John, if you could do any job in the world because it paid the same, right? Let's say that like your salary was a constant. So you know, let's say he makes like 200k or something, right? Whatever, your your salary is constant. Any job in the world you can do, what job would you do? And you know what he said? He said he would be an SDR." And I said, why would that be the job that you want? And I swear to God, this is a true story. And he said he loves, loves getting on the phone and talking to people and, and and figuring out what they're up to, figuring out what their pains are, having a great business conversation and leaving that person with a great with a great impression. He loves doing that, like not not in like, a, oh, it's my job to do it not in like a oh this creates value for my company not in a this makes me feel good cuz I'm accomplished he loves the interaction and it is that quality that makes John great is the fact that when he's on the phone with a buyer you know he's genuinely trying to solve their pain he is genuinely curious about their business he's completely transparent and honest. John is asked direct questions. You know, if he doesn't understand something, he's not too proud to say, I have no idea what you're talking about. Can you repeat what you just said? You know, every salesperson must be like, oh yeah, I know everything. Like, you know, screw that, right? Be honest, be transparent, be yourself. And and, and 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 that's the quality of John. I mean, of course, John is brilliant and he's a phenomenally talented sales leader. And, and, and you know, I, I learned a lot from working with John on, on the management team of, of SalesPredict, but, but the thing that John has that makes him one of the best salespeople I have ever met is a genuine curiosity and interest in helping his customers. And that is the thing, that that needs to that needs to really shine through in the sales people that you work with so if you're an sdr out there you know john holwick is a vp of sales at a couple successful companies led sales predict to its acquisition by ebay you know was one of the top reps at salesforce at ClearSlide. so if you're an sdr out there and you're like man being an sdr is hard talk to john and have him tell you how much he loves being an SDR because he will change your perspective on what it means to to be an SDR and he truly creates value with every interaction even if all he's doing is setting an appointment and and I think that as an SDR that should be your focus too learn your industry learn about your competitors learn about your 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 clients learn about their competitors become A a fountain of knowledge for for the people that you're talking to, and appointments and deals will just flow to your footsteps. I promise you, it will work. I've seen it work over and over again for the best salespeople, and I've seen everyone else bash their heads against the wall while they quote unquote hit their activity quota. Which, as you can tell, I'm not a fan of.
1: (laughs) Well, we'll have to get John on the show. I mean, he he was it was. I totally agree. I mean, it, it was such a breath of fresh air to talk with him on that sales call because he literally, it was like, he kind of, it was like a a psychology meeting or the psychiatrist, you know, he was just trying to get me to open up about what I was working on and my pain points. And it was completely different than your usual, just like, I got to power through these 18 slides and show you every bits and bytes of what we're doing, which is just kind of a turnoff. Totally. Really. Yeah, and, and, yeah. and,
2: and to that point and to that point, I want to I want to make sure because you said something so important, right? You said it was such a breath of fresh air. Be that for your prospects. Like mm-hmm. if there is one piece of advice I could give to anybody listening to the show, be known as the breath of fresh air. Right, I talk way too much. I speak way too quickly, and and I and I and I hop from topic to topic. And I'm sure that there are, are my customers who who have done business with me would be like, yeah, that sounds like Sahil. But you know what? I'm always myself in every meeting, in every interaction because I know that everyone else is trying to be a robot and is trying to follow a script and is trying to play the playbook or whatever other crappy advice that one of these sales trainers gave you that just doesn't work. Like That is not how you stand out in sales. That is how you used to stand out in sales. That is what used to work before everyone could click a button, before everyone could fire a thousand phone calls off. Today, you have to be different and we built bravado to help you build your personal brand but bravado isn't the only place you can build your personal brand go set up your own website go 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 start posting interesting content on Twitter start engaging in dialogues with buyers on LinkedIn like be the breath of fresh air be the thing that is different and you will get all of your appointments and quotas met before you know it
1: I love it, man. Like I said, I, gotta, I, I, want, I want to do round two with you, Sahil. This has been okay. amazing. Yeah, definitely. And I can't thank you enough for sharing all this knowledge with the listeners and being on the show. I really appreciate it. We're going to go check out Bravado and we'll look you up on LinkedIn and, and connect as well. So thank you so much.
2: Thank you, man. Hey, have a, have a great one. And thanks for having me on. You're a rock star, David. And the work that you're doing with with your clients uh, with 10 Bound is, is great. So I'm, I'm, I'm rooting hard for you, man.
0: Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Sales Development Podcast, the only audio forum 100% focused and dedicated to sales development with your host, David Delaney. Please be sure to subscribe to the show on YouTube and take a moment to leave us a review on iTunes. Your support makes our show possible. If you are struggling with your sales development program, contact us at 10Bound.com for a no-obligation exploratory call. Again, that's 10Bound.com.